Hello, and welcome to the Power Your Advice podcast. The Power Your Advice podcast is designed to bring financial advisors new ideas, why those ideas should be considered, and how to implement them into your business. This podcast is brought to you by Advisorpedia, the best place for advisors to grow their minds and businesses. And now, please join your host, Doug Heikinen. Hello and welcome to the podcast. We are live at the Axos Advisor Service Conference, Focus on the Future, in Denver, Colorado. We're joined by Ed Butowski, who's the managing partner of Chapwood Investments. For over 25 years, Ed and Chapwood have helped the high net worth clients protect and grow their wealth to be even more successful. Welcome, Ed. Well, thank you very much. First of all, tell us about Chapwood Investments. It, it's 25 years is a long time. Tell us about it and how has it changed over the years? Yeah, well, I'm really happy, you know, that we've been at it for that long. And we have uh, about $500 million under management, and there's five of us that work at the firm. And we pride ourselves on evaluating portfolios a little differently. Uh, we come at it from the standpoint that we think that most portfolios, in fact, we could say that 97.5% of all retail investment portfolios are inefficient, and they don't meet up to the standards that they need to meet up to. And I actually created some uh, calculators on my website to prove this. And this isn't an indictment on other advisors. It's really an indictment on the training in our industry, because our training in our industry is one of selling products and services, but not constructing portfolios and not knowing exactly how to manage risk and measure risk. So, you know, a lot of times people will say they're managing risk by putting money in bonds, but measuring risk, you know, if you ask any advisor, how do you measure risk? They're, they're kind of dumbfounded. And that's something I'd like to point out when I'm going after new business. What are some of the trends investors need to look out for for the rest of the year? Well, the rest of the year, look, there's no two ways about it. We're, we're going to see higher interest rates, which we saw today, 75 basis point rise by the Fed. And they're doing that to stomp out inflation. But the negative unintended consequence of that is they're going to slow the economy down. But the really the key to, to the slow economy in the U.S. has a lot to do with the slow world economy. People don't realize that 44% of the earnings growth for the S&P 500 companies comes from outside the United States. And if you look at their, the real CPI year-over-year return, meaning you know, real is after inflation, around the globe, everyone is negative. You have the euro uh, zone that is at a negative 9.1%. That means if you put your money in the bank, you lost 9.1% purchasing power. And that's going to slowly find its way into the earnings of the S&P 500 companies. So I think we're in for a really rough go for the next uh, quarter at least. And they said the Fed may keep going and raising more interest. Is that possible? Oh, I mean, yeah. sure, sure, it's possible, but... Yeah, and it has to be done. Because the inflation is just completely off the charts. And, and we're not seeing it slow down like we would like it to. So the Fed has to raise interest rates. It's the only tool that they have uh, to fight it. And there's just no question about it that they're going to continue to raise rates. And we're going to see a lot more of uh, earnings being hurt because of this. And not only earnings hurt, are we going to see the housing market get crushed as well? 
No, you're seeing that already. I mean, you're seeing, you know, mortgage rates have gone above 6% and people are not out there buying. So, so not only is it costing more money from their financing, but the price of houses had gone up so much. Now it's starting to come down a little bit. Um, you know, I'm not a housing expert, but I would tend to think that if you were going to be buying a house, you should have done it about six months ago. You work with the high net worth clients and it's a great, great 10 year run. What are you telling them about the current period? Well, I've, I've been pretty negative for the last two years. And now I've kept my clients fully invested, but, and, and, and they continue to be fully invested, but not fully invested in the stock market. The stock market's still about 12% overvalued based on expected earnings growth. So, you know, I've, I've been very vocal about it. I send out a video message every week uh, to my clients, and, and I continue to warn them about the stock market being overpriced. And, and you have to look at what the price-to-earnings multiple is versus the earnings, well, basically the yield uh, on the uh, earnings yield. So if you have a, a stock that has a price-to-earnings multiple of 20 and, and it has an earnings yield of 1%, that means you're you're looking at you know price earnings multiple of twenty, and that's just an incredibly overpriced market, and you have to have an earnings growth rate. You have to have your earnings be about equivalent to your PE ratio, and right now you have earnings growth in the S and P at about seven percent, and you have the PE at around eighteen. How long have you been doing that video message? That is kind of unique to be doing. Yeah. Every week. Yeah, I, I, I've been doing it for about uh, five or six years. It's called Making Sense, and anybody can subscribe to it by going to YouTube and looking up Making Sense with Ed Butowski. And clients appreciate it. They do. It's, it's a great way to communicate my thoughts. And, you know, I like talking to my clients. I talk to them all the time. But this is a – they, they kind of look forward to getting my message. And if I, if I have a week where I don't send it out, they think that they got dropped from my email list, which uh, – is encouraging because I know people enjoy the message. So 300,000 unlucky Russians have been drafted into the war, um, and it looks like it's going to drag out into the winter. Mm-hmm. Is there opportunity there for investors to think about that? There really isn't. Um, that war is, uh, you know, from a human standpoint, it's a disaster. Uh, from an investment standpoint, there's nothing good that's going to, you know, come from that. You're going to see a lot of uh, stress on the banks in Europe, uh, you're seeing oil prices continue to rise, natural gas prices rise because of the shortage of natural gas. There, there's just nothing, and, and I appreciate the question because you would think that there might, you know, every time there's a problem, there's an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the only opportunity might be to invest in some defense manufacturers in the United States um, or around the globe, whoever else is uh, supplying uh, defense equipment to Ukraine. But, you know, with Putin talking about this becoming, uh, you know, the possibility of a nuclear war, you know, that, that, that really changes, you know, the, the dynamics of this whole thing. What are you telling your clients when they're asking you about crypto? I tell them that there is absolutely nothing um, that backs cryptocurrency, in Bitcoin especially. And the only reason it has value is because people say it has value. Uh, I had somebody on a, a webinar the other day, a very smart guy, um, talk about uh, Ethereum. And the, Ethereum is the platform, apparently, because I'm, I'm a little older, but apparently it's the platform that allows other um, 
things in the crypto world to have its, I guess, to have a platform and to be able to build off of. Uh, and but but I think it's all just really hokey. And uh, as Steve Moore, who was on my webinar the other day, he's a an American conservative economist. He says that crypto is the biggest hoax um, there is. And I don't disagree with them. I can't find one advisor who's telling their clients to, to buy that stuff. Um, you're in the media a lot. You're on CNBC. People watch it. It gets great ratings. Mm -hmm. But it, it rustles up people, too. So how do you, how do you think about that when um, the media is you know, taking investors and taking them someplace that maybe you don't want them to go? Well, what gets to me is that the genius of investing is recognizing the direction of trends. And whenever I'm on television, you know, people want to talk about what's going to happen tomorrow. And part of me wants to say, it doesn't matter. What matters is the long-term trend. And, and that's what you have to look at is the trend. And a trend doesn't begin at, you know, 9.30 Eastern time and end at 4 o'clock Eastern time. Trends happen over months and months of periods of time. And so, but a lot of times you have to talk about, you know, well, I think this is going to happen. I think that's going to happen. And this happened for this reason and so on. But it's, the, again, the genius of investing is recognizing the direction of trends. And people need to understand that all because we have our, our iPhones and, you know, our, our, you know, absolute access 24-7 to our money, that doesn't mean that you have to do something. So access to your money is a real damaging thing for a lot of people. You work with the world of athletes and agents and, mm -hmm. and that thing, and everybody thinks it's very glamorous, but it's, it's not as glamorous as it seems. It's tough. Yeah, it is. I, uh, I actually was fortunate. I, I did an article in Sports Illustrated called How and Why Athletes Go Broke. I'm actually the one who initiated the article. I called up a guy named Richard Dematt, who was a managing editor at Sports Illustrated, and I said to him, um, you need to do an article on why athletes go broke. And I left him a voicemail. He didn't return my call, and that drives me crazy. So I called him again, and he didn't call me back. So I finally left him a message, and I said, if you do this story, we're going to increase circulation 4.2% that month. And he called me back just to correct me that Sports Illustrated came out weekly. But, and, <laughs> but he wanted to know where the 4.2% came from, and I just threw it out there. Um, but he did assign a reporter, a guy named Pablo Torre, who's very well known now on ESPN. And Pablo's one of his first stories he ever did. And it became the most popular story in the history of Sports Illustrated. It was the most downloaded story ever in Sports Illustrated history. So then um, ESPN called and wanted to do a 30 for 30. So they did a 30 for 30, which I'm proud to say I helped produce. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a show called Broke. And it's about athletes and money. So I developed a kind of a name for myself in the athlete world. And the one thing about these athletes are that they are some of the best nicest people you'll ever meet in your life. And they have this idea that they can't understand investment management because a lot of them didn't finish college. A lot of them didn't even go to college. And, but let me tell you, I, I didn't do that great in high school and college and, and I've gotten it and it's not that difficult, but it's our job as financial advisors to explain in simple language to people how to evaluate their portfolio and how money management should work. So when I look at these young men, and most of them are young men, although I do have a few uh, female athletes, 
they're, they're the kindest souls, but they have this idea that they can't learn, so they don't try to. So I developed a class, and I have a boot camp uh, that I do with athletes. And, and I go through with them, and I do it where we have it made up where we have public securities is your main course. And you should have 75 to 80% of your money in a main course. Then you have 10 to 20% of your money in vegetables, which um, I call alternative investments. And then, and then where do you get a stomachache? You get a stomachache from having fruit and dessert, and that's venture capital and private equity. And cars. And Well, that's, that's the private equity. Yeah. Or actually, cars are actually alternatives. But, but you know, when you explain it to them that way, then they can say, hey, I have too much fruit. And that's the problem is a lot of these young athletes put money in things that they're familiar with. They have, they have a sense of uh, you know, knowledge because they know what a T-shirt company is. They know what real estate is, but they don't know what a municipal bond is or a mutual fund or an ETF or how a stock goes up and down. So they tend to gravitate where they put about 85 to 90% of their money where they should have less than 5%. And that's why so many of them go broke. And that's what I teach in my boot camp. It's interesting that they can't figure out, they're getting all their money at the beginning. Most people get it at the end. And if they manage it correctly, they can have it till the end. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, and I take them through the rule of 72, uh, which you know, is a dynamic thing to know that if you divide your money, divide your rate of return into 72, the answer is how many years it'll take to double your money. So you know, when someone says, oh, it's just $1,000 I just spent, I say to them, well, that's $4,000 in 14.4 years. So here you are, 25 years old. You know, by the time you're 39, that $1,000 would have been 4000 And by then, you're going to have possibly kids and a lot of responsibilities. You need to think about your money that way. And, and another thing a lot of athletes are doing is they're going into crypto. And, and I think it's, you know, some of these people are taking all their money in crypto. Um, and when you say it, you know, anybody listening to this will think, my goodness, he doesn't like crypto. He's an idiot. I'm not an idiot. I'm just somebody who's very, you know, you know, smart about you must invest in things that have a reason for their value. And crypto has no reason for its value. The next set I want to ask you is about the next gen investor. They have, you know, the phones, the instant gratification, the quiet quitting, all that kind of stuff. Um, how are we supposed to teach them about investing and saving for their future? Yeah, and I, I, I tend to not deal with too many next-gen um, people, uh, but the kids of my clients are next-gen. And so I try to teach them. I have a, a, a certain PowerPoint presentation I go through, and I try to teach them. Uh, but then they pull out this crypto stuff all the time. I mean, anytime you're talking to one of these kids that go, yeah, but what about, you know, this one or that one or, you know, a hurricane? And I'm like, oh, my goodness. Um, so they do want instant gratification. And, mm-hmm. and, but, uh, and those people I, I will continue to try to teach because I love teaching. That's one of the things I love about this business. Um, but it's really difficult to change someone's mind, I've learned. And they have to learn it through, you know, practice you know, or through, through actually just getting, you know, their, their, their butt kicked. My son is a good example. Um, my son, you know, made some money and put it into crypto. And, and, and now he has money with me. Um, and he just doesn't have a lot of money, but, but it went down. And I'm kind of like, okay, fine. You know what? You lost it. And, um, but it also has the same mentality as private equity and venture capital investing. Uh, that people are trying to find a shortcut 
uh, to real wealth. And, you know, sometimes it might work and you've got these billionaire crypto people and, you know, they got in at the right time. And, uh, but, you know, there's a little part of me that just hopes it goes down and all these guys lose all their money. <laughs> I got to be honest with you. <laughs> it's just a little part of me. It's where's all the money coming from? Because they, they advertise everywhere. Yeah. They're on stadiums. I know. It's like, it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, last one for you. If, if you were just starting out again, back at 22 years old, would you take a similar path to be an advisor? Well, the path I took is I, I grew up at Morgan Stanley, went through their training program, and um, eventually went off on my own uh, after stopping at Bank of America for a very short period of time. Uh, that's a great question, you know, because I, I often think that I would have rather have been an insurance agent because I don't think they do a lot. Um, I really don't. They're, they're the ones on the golf course that have the best handicaps. And all they have to do is just hope someone re-ups every year. Um, but that's a, great, that's a great question. Well, would you be an advisor again? Yeah. There's nothing else I know. Yeah. Uh, this, this is what I know, and this is where I feel the greatest satisfaction. Plus, I have ADD, and every single day something's happening out there in the world that impacts what I do. Um, and it, it, it really is the greatest job in the world because you can help people, people rely on what you have to say, and you also are um, adding value to people's lives. And I, I, I absolutely love being an advisor, and you know, here I am, 60 years old, and I plan to do it for the next 20 years. That's great. Ed, thanks so much for being with us. Absolutely. Thank you. To learn more about Ed and his team, please visit chapwoodinvestments.com. Please follow us for all the latest updates on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook, all at Advisorpedia. For everybody at Advisorpedia, the Power Advice podcast team, this is Doug Heikinen.